going to continue the series here, but how many like to hear a joke? <laughs> Something funny? <clears throat> Loosen you up a little bit. Is that okay? <laughs> well, Swen and Ole ignored uh, minus 60 degree wind chill warnings, and uh, they froze to death while ice fishing in northern Minnesota. So they descended to hell. <clears throat> and coming to check on his new arrivals from north, Satan is surprised to find Ole and Swen enjoying themselves, finally removing their coats and hats that they've worn for decades. <clears throat> what is the meaning of this, Satan demands? You two almost seem comfortable. Oh, don't you know, answered Ole. This is the first time we've been warm in years. <laughs> okay, thinks Satan. <clears throat> I'm going to really turn up the heat and see how these two like it. We'll see if you're still laughing in a minute. Satan instructs the demons to really pour on the coals and proceeds to go to check on his other chargers. He returns a while later, and to his astonishment, he finds Ole and Swen stripped down to their boxers and sweating a little, but still with huge smiles on their faces. And Satan says, what is the meaning of this? Oofta, answers Swen. It's getting, getting warm down here, but after decades of Minnesota cold, we can finally feel our bones start to thaw. We're warm for the first time in our lives, mister. Feeling more than a little desperate, Satan thinks of a new plan. All right, he retorts, you two were sent down here to suffer. Maybe the best environment for that is one like your miserable home in Minnesota. Satan then instructs his demons to make hell freeze. So heaters are exchanged for supernatural AC liquid nitrogen tanks are plugged in. The work Satan leaves to go attend other business. He returns again a short time later expecting to find Ole and Swen miserable from being in the bitter cold once again. To his bewilderment, Ole and Swen are, Swen are redressed in their parkers and hats, but they are hooping, hollering like never before, full of excitement and joy that they can't even contain themselves. Defeated, Satan asks, what is it with you guys? I make hell hotter than ever and you guys enjoy it. I make it colder than anything, even you two experience, and you're still full of joy. What's going on? Well, answers Oli, for the first time in our lives, we're able to feel warm, which felt pretty good. But now, with hell that has been frozen over, that can only mean one thing. The Minnesota Vikings won the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, praise the Lord. Let's move on. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word going forth. Lord, I thank you for every person that is here. I pray for utterance to make known the mystery and the truth of the word of God here today. And I pray for every person, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see what you are wanting to do in and through our lives. And I pray for a spirit of revelation to come upon your people and understanding. And Lord, that that we would have a different perspective, uh, an additional perspective when it comes to prayer. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. I want to talk to you today as we kind of bring in conclusion, uh, as we talk about prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year, as we focus on that and have had a time of fasting a few weeks ago. But uh, in our continuing our series, this is the fourth, fourth week, worried about everything but praying about nothing. Our text has been Philippians 4. Philippians 4, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Amen? 
And we asked the question last week, and there's more to that verse, but for the sake of time, do my prayers really matter all that much? Do your prayers really matter all that much? Isn't God going to do what he wants anyway? And we asked this question, we threw this question out there. Oops, excuse me. Uh, maybe we can bring back that. There you go, thank you. Does God need you to pray because he said so? I want you to pray because, well, I want you to just do it, whether you like it or not. Or <clears throat> does he just want me to pray? Is there a, is there a need in there or is there just a, a want? How many know what I'm saying here? And I think that is a very powerful statement, and it can change the paradigm. If you actually believe God needs me, God needs you to pray, then there's something that we are participants when it comes to prayer. That actually God wants to do something in and through your life, my life, when we do prayer. How many still follow me? Say amen. amen. And then last week we talked about the cheater approach, and you know, we speed into our prayer time, and uh, we speed through our Bible reading and scriptures, or we have our little verse, and, and, but a lot of times we're lacking the heart, just like a cheetah. He can go up to 70 miles an hour, but he can only within a minute or two do that, and then he must slow down because he has a small heart. And so what happens is we decide to pray harder and faster because, well, we just feel like we failed in some way or some capacity when maybe what is needed may not be more explosive or louder prayers. Sometimes some people think the louder the prayer, the more spiritual it is. Someone says we make up in thunder what we lack in anointing. <clears throat> but staying power, somebody say staying. Do you know what I mean by that? Staying means to be consistent. It means to be persistent. And there's a reason for that. <clears throat> a prayer, big, uh, a bigger prayer heart. And so why should we persist? And I threw this out last week. I believe our prayers do more than simply motivate the Father into action. My wife and I are graduates of Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas, the late Gordon Lindsay, and he wrote many books. In one of his books, The Substance of Prayer, he talks about this concept about prayer, which I think is very vital. Uh, and I've embraced this my, my whole life, and this is why I pray and I continue to pray. He said the concept is that our prayers do more than just motivate the Father into action. They actually release. Somebody shall release. Why don't you think about that? Release the power of the Holy Spirit from us to accomplish things. Think about that. Some of you are not thinking about that because I'm going to say it again. It re your prayers release the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish things. Certain types of prayer would, of course, do more than this than others, and he elaborates more on that. So, and I said this last week, if it's a clear no in prayer, there's no need to pray about it, right? If God says, no, I don't want you to do this, I don't want you to pack up a move and go and so and so where because there's no strong local church for you there in that community and it may affect your family and your children and your children. Come on, somebody. I've heard stories that people say, where are you moving? Moving to where? Have you found a church? Uh, that's not on my list. The only thing that was on my list is how much money I'm going to make in this next. That is a stupid decision. I, I, you said you shouldn't say that. That is a foolish decision. Everywhere my wife and I went, first place I looked for is where could we plug into a local church? Before I was a pastor. Just why? Because I know that it's going to affect my life, my family, my children. It's going to affect us. Being in 
plugged in to a local church. I believe in that so much. That was before I was a pastor. But if there is a, not a clear no, then I believe there is an element of perseverance you need to persevere in. I shared the illustration about this church coming. I won't get into all of it. Here we are today, but I felt we'd have a new building back in the first five years. Then the first 10 years happened. And then after 15 years, still nothing. But 20 years later, here we are. <laughs> Living the dream and enjoying the miracle God did. But I persisted in prayer. I just persisted. It isn't that God is reluctant up in heaven. You finally strong arm him, and he's finally gone. All right, I've had it from this crazy Italian and, and spitting everywhere and flying his hands. And just just, just get, give him the church. No, I believe our prayers release power in the spirit to accomplish what God wants to see accomplished. Do you think the Lord wanted this? He sure did. But there are, there are resisting forces of evil, and we're going to talk, if we got time here, about some of these, the Old Testament example, a New Testament example of that, that the enemy is always there resisting the things of God that we are to press through because we are called to overcome. We are overcomers, amen? We know the battle has been won, the victory has been wrought, but uh, the work is not finished, amen? There's still work to be done. Now, I'm going to get into something here very quickly. And just to help you, this concept about when we talk about the substance of prayer, about the power of the Spirit. Do you know pow the power of the Spirit? There are measurable levels of power. Just like in electricity, uh, you know, how many of you ever stick your tongue? Wait, I probably shouldn't say that, on a 9-volt battery. <clears throat> I usually do that, you know, when as a kid, like, is this good or bad? You know when it's good. <clears throat> Don't do it, but you, someone's going to try it no matter what. <laughs> The point is, is there, that, that's just a 9 volt, but there are higher volts, 220 or 8. I mean, and so, but, but also in the realm of the spirit, we live in, live in a third dimension realm here where we touch, touch taste, our five senses, but there's another realm, a fourth dimension. There's another dimension where God's spirit and presence resides, okay? That gets spooky on you, but there's another dimension. Uh, let me just explain in Romans 12, 3, uh, some of these that God says there are measurable levels of faith. God has allotted to each a measure. Somebody shall measure of faith. God has a, a portion to each, one translation says. A degree of faith and a purpose that is designed for service. A purpose and a design for service. So each of you as a believer has a measure of faith. All right? I want you to get that. God has, another translation says, distributed a measure of faith to each. Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned to each of you. So the word measure in the Greek is where we get our word meter, our meter. In other words, God has metered out, watch this, to each a portion of faith from where that must grow from what is metered out. So the question is, what are you doing with your measure? <clears throat> that was a good time to say amen. amen. What are you doing with the measure, the meter, whatever it is? I have like one-tenth of a mustard seed of faith, Pastor Mike. Well, then you've got one-tenth of a mustard seed. What are you doing with the meter? And if you haven't seen a mustard seed, it's pretty small. <laughs> Actually, some people can't even see it. It's so tiny. What are you doing with the measure? Are you sitting on your measure? Are you waiting God, for God to do something for that measure? Well, what's waiting? Waiting on the Lord. 
We're just waiting. We're waiting. You know, there's a time to wait. <clears throat> there's a time to wait. But God, God wants us to act in many situations. How many with me say amen? <clears throat> so there are levels of faith. The scripture says in Second Thess- excuse me, Thessalonians, Thessalonians 3, 2, he said there are wicked and evil people. Not everyone has faith. So there are people that have no faith. And then in Luke 12, 2, when he says he can close the, the grass of the fields, he said, O ye of little faith. And then we see in Luke 7, 9, the centurion, which you shared before about, that he had great faith. So we see that, how many know that great faith, watch this, in no faith are not the same thing. How many know there's a measure between no faith to great faith? All right? So there are measures of faith. There are measures or portions, I could say, of righteousness. In other words, righteousness is something that we can increase in our life. You don't just, you are attributed righteous when you become born again, but righteousness is a gift and it's something we can increase. So the more that we practice righteousness and pursue it, the greater our righteousness will be. I'll give you some verses for that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So you have to be hungry. You have to be thirsty for in order to, you know, that righteousness for they shall be what? Filled, Matthew 5, 6 says. It says, uh, the path of the righteous is like the shining sun that shines even brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. So there's a brighter and a brighter and a brighterness about and with righteousness. I don't understand it completely, but 2 Corinthians 9.10 says this, says that, uh, now, uh, may he who, see if I can get this to move. Someone help me there. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and watch this, increase the fruits of your righteousness. So righteousness can be increased in your life. There's a measure. How many follow what I'm saying? All right? I try to keep things practical, but then I got to go deep at times. And some of you think, go deeper. I'm going deeper. There are measurable portions of the degree of sin. Degrees of sin. Genesis 15, 16, God told Abraham he was going to give the land to his descendants in four generations. The reason he could not give it to him yet was because the scripture says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Very interesting phrase there. And if you look that up, it actually means their sin has not reached its full measure. Really? So there are places and times where sin reaches a boiling point where the Lord says, that's it. And when God steps in, everything is, it's over. Okay, when he he judges. Um, Mount Vestavis in 70 AD, 72 AD, was one of the most immoral, wicked cities, uh, uh, Pompeii, at that time. And they actually have, it's actually considered pornographic material, some of the stuff that they have excavated, as far as we're all going to say, uh, of people that were frozen in thousand degree ash because the, uh, the volcano erupted and sent a thousand degree temperature within seconds down and buried the whole city. And they have excavated and pulled out, I won't even, I won't even say, how immoral and wicked the stuff people were involved in. The cup was full. Judgment was executed. Thank God for his grace. 
So I'm going to talk about grace right now. <laughs> Second Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace. Somebody shout all grace. Watch this. Acts 4.33. Interesting verse. Acts 4. With great power. Someone shout great. Great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in what? Great. So, so grace, great grace was upon them all. So the word great actually in the Greek means mega. So you'd say mega. So that there is grace, then there is mega grace, then there is all grace. How many see that there seems to be a measure in that? There seems to be a measure in that. There are measurable, measurable degrees of love. Now here we say, you know, we love this, we love that, and we mean the same thing. But obviously people weed through, you love ice cream, and then you love your, your kids. Yes, I think there's a deeper love for ice cream than your kids, but it actually depends on what day it is at times. <clears throat> you, that was a free for parents, little ones. <clears throat> greater love. Somebody shout greater love. <clears throat> love that has grown cold. So your love, actually, that you may have can go cold. Interesting. And then there's love that is abounding more and more. And there are measurable degrees of the power of God. Very interesting passage here. Mark chapter 6, we see that this verse says that because of the unbelief, somebody shout unbelief. Unbelief, unbelief of the people of Nazareth, Jesus could do no mighty miracles. Now watch this. On Mark 6, 5, I'm going to pull this up from the Amplified. Now watch this. It says this. It says, and he, Jesus, could not do a miracle. Hmm. Pastor, you could do anything. He's omnipotent. Could not do a miracle there at all because of their unbelief. What? Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and they'll heal. You know what? I'll take a few sick people getting hands laid on getting healed. But that was kind of like the, the, the lower version because there was something going on there, at least in that situation, where the unbelief of the people hindered the power of God. Can somebody say amen here? Do you know culturally in certain places how cultures can hinder the power of God? And they have unbelief. Or they, they say, you know, we don't think that way. That's not how we've been taught. You know, theologically, that's different. We've never heard of that. That's a little strange. So you hinder the power of God. It happened to Jesus. Happened to Jesus. Now, here's the thing. The Greek does not say he chose not to or he didn't do it. It literally says he could not. Ah, that, that's shaking. Because their level of faith, their unbelief, had hindered the flow of the power of God. That's, that's what it's saying. That's how I read it. In other words, although Jesus was able to heal a few sick people, he couldn't work mighty works. Mm. I don't know about you, but I want a church where the mighty works of God are commonplace. And I don't want to be one that says, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. No, I want God. To have this atmosphere at harvest that's conducive, that mighty works can be done. Come on, somebody. Amen? I feel like faith needs to be arisen in this place. <clears throat> so there are measurable amounts of God's power, I believe, that exists in the realm of the Spirit. So it seems that, it seems that certain amounts of this power or life of God must be released in the realm of the Spirit to accomplish certain things. Are you beginning to understand why I persevere in prayer, why persevering in prayer is necessary? I want you to begin to think about that. What are you doing? You're not just saying, Lord, will you please do this? 
Ain't nothing happened. He must not want it. That we are to release and persist. Drive back the enemy because he's a thief. If God didn't say no. See, what happens though sometimes is God says no, but we don't want to hear it. I really like this guy. really like this girl. I feel it's the will of the Lord. I'm supposed to. Inside. No, 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 no. And what do we do? We keep praying and we talking to people. Do you like him? Yeah, you like her? Yeah, oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, but well, ah, you know, but maybe. And you persist. Oh, come on, somebody. You persist and you persist and you persist. And then you get what you wanted. And sometimes it's to your own hurt. Moving right along. Um, hallelujah. <laughs> And so, so we're, the point is simple. <clears throat> Jesus was able to heal a few sick folk, but he couldn't work a miracle. The facets, watch this, of the spirit realm are very tangible and real. They're tangible and real. The anointing of God is real. <clears throat> I've heard testimony of people that have said that they were being prayed for whatever here in this place and they felt like a hand was on their back. Nobody was standing behind them. And they just felt like the presence of God moving them forward to go pray, to be prayed for. Can I get it? You know what that is? That's the angel of the Lord saying, you're doing the right thing. Come on, keep on. Don't let anything distract you. Just keep coming because I got a miracle for you. God's presence is real. Angels are real and they are here. And they follow with you. If you could just take... If, we, if God would give us all 10 seconds to see in the fourth dimension, we'd all be radical for Christ when we leave here. Because we would see everything. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, that's what that is. That's a demon harassing me. Oh, that's what that is. Uh, they, oh, you mean God's angels are surrounded by that? Wow. Think differently here. God's power is real. We don't see it, but it is there. It is there. And so... Power, I believe, needs to be released. Just different amounts are required for different things, though. That's the thing where persistence, I believe, comes in. How many know you need different levels of power for different things? It's just when it comes to, like, uh, power, it takes a, uh, to power a flashlight with maybe two D batteries or a couple of double A's or maybe a building or a building like this size or, or a power station grid. It takes levels of power. Levels of power. Well, I believe the same thing is true in the spirit. And once again, this is a different mindset, a different mindset. Different amounts of measurable, amounts or measurable levels of God's power needed to accomplish certain things. Now, I'll elaborate on that. I think for some instances, not all, not all, but I believe this principle could be a reason why it takes uh, most people to get their prayers answered or not answered at all. Just to throw up one little prayer one time about a very heavy situation that you know that the devil is involved in that and God wants that to turn around. How many know that that's not really persisting? Just to give up. And the enemy, he's a thief. He's a thief. So usually it's not just a matter of asking the Father to do something, but rather, watch this, it's a matter of releasing enough power in the Spirit to get the job done. You're releasing it. Now, you're not playing God, but you are instruments. He has authorized us. We talked about that last week. Jesus doesn't lay hands on the sick. We do. Come on. Jesus doesn't, you know, 
uh, ordain elders. We do through him. It's him. It's his power, not us. But you are the instruments of God. How many see that? Say amen. I'm almost done here. And a lot of Christians are not aware of this. And so what happens after we ask, we tend to sit back and wait on God and when he is often waiting on us. Did you hear that? We're waiting on God, but God's waiting on you. What is God waiting on you to step up the plate? Come on. I know that kind of switches the, hey, sarah, sarah, whatever's going to be, is going to be. We just chalk that up to the sovereignty of God, but God maybe wants you to persist, to press in, that the devil is a liar. He's a thief. We fail to understand that there are prayers and supplication and intercessions which do more than just ask him. And then sometimes when the answer actually appears suddenly, or it seems that like, well, finally, God, he, he did that immediately, it seems, and we're still praying about something else. And the truth of the matter is, is that it could be that enough prayer power has gone forth over that situation, sometimes months, weeks, years, decades, and we see the fruit of it. You know, this church was uh, birthed in 1999, but back in 1993, there was, I'll just say it this way, there was a group of godly, good men and women, and many of them businessmen and women, that when I first moved out, my wife and I, to Alexandria, and I started it in Ashby at the was Country Bible Church, it's the Destiny Church now back in 1993, shortly after that, you know, we were having a Bible study, this pastor, Steve and I, in Alexandria, and we'd come on Wednesday nights. Wonderful people, and they were wanting a church in Alexandria. They were a full gospel, charismatic, they were Bible-believing, they were, they were a wonderful group of people. Well, Pastor Steve at that time, and I had just, just started in youth ministry, uh, we met, and I just knew in, the, in my spirit going into this meeting what was going to happen. The Lord showed me the whole thing. It was like someone unfolded a page and I saw everything was going to happen. I was already prepared to know exactly what I was going to say because I knew, I knew what was going to happen. And I just knew it. I'm not saying that arrogantly. God just revealed it to me. And what happened, there was about 30 of them, 30, 40 people in this Bible study. And they said, we want to start what church and we want you to start it. And so they asked Pastor Steve and he said, you know, at this point, I just don't feel a release that we should do that. <clears throat> and... And immediately, someone turned and looked, and they said, what do you think, Pastor Mike? Do you feel we should start a church? I knew that question was coming. I said, you know what, Pastor Steve, I am submitted under him, and he said no, so it's a no. And so we're just going to trust God for you all that someday a church will start here in Alley. Seven years later, harvest was birthed. And they kept praying, though. They were good people, good people. They kept praying, kept praying. I was removed from the situation. We'd still go and attend, and we're friends with many of them still today, and wonderful people. But it wasn't the right timing because God had to do a work in me. <laughs> I was like twice dead plucked over. I was a mess, you know. I was like a train wreck. And it's like, what, God, you're going to choose me? But God had to do a work in me, all right, and still is. Amen? Still is. I'm almost done. Um, but, but, you know, sometimes, though, it takes continued prayer, continued prayer, amen? Very quickly, Old Testament example about releasing power, releasing power. Maybe you can help me with this here. <clears throat> the next one is 1 Kings 17, 20. Elijah raises the widow's son, and he does something that is very strange. It's very odd. The Bible says he stretches himself over this child 
Three times. Someone shout three. three. <clears throat> and then cried unto the Lord, Oh, Lord my God, please let this boy's life return unto him. Now, why did it take three times? So I thought, maybe the man of God wasn't where he needed to be spiritually. He didn't read his Bible that week. He didn't pray. He didn't, uh, he watched too many Netflix videos. I don't know, you know. <laughs> or maybe he just didn't have enough faith. He just, you know, it wasn't enough faith. Or maybe he didn't do it right exactly the first two times to take a third time. Do exactly right what God wanted. No, we're not told the reason, but it could be. It could be. Let me say it one more time. It could be that the reason was he was releasing the power of God each time he did that. He was, come on, somebody. He was releasing the life of God out of his spiritual womb or spiritual man each time he prayed. And so when you pray and you lay hands on somebody, you are releasing the life of God. Well, it didn't, it didn't take, it didn't seem. Do it again. Well, it didn't seem like it. Did. Do it again. Stand with me if you would, please. How many know I would imagine it takes a good bit of the life and power of God to raise the dead? Not just through a Burger King drive-through prayer. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm going to end with this, and we're going to receive communion. And Mark chapter 8, we see the blind man at Bethesda. And uh, it says this. It says, so Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. <clears throat> but it says this, the verse before that, it says, some people brought the blind man to Jesus. I thought, I thought, well, that's interesting. Sometimes we need the help of others to carry us to the Savior. Sometimes we're not strong enough on our own. So some people bring you along. And then it says, they led him out of the village. Jesus led him out. He took him by the hand. And sometimes some of the greatest and most faith-growing times in your life will happen when we are completely alone with Jesus, when he leads you away and you are by yourself with him. How many hear what I'm saying? He was led by Jesus to a place of solitude. And then he does something. Jesus lays his hands on his eyes and the man stared intently and then it says his Sight was completely restored, and he began to see everything clearly. Mark 8, 25. But then it goes on to say that he did it two times. So he spat on the man's eyes. He's placed his hands on him, and he said, can you see anything? He asked. The man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. So how many know seeing nothing? So this guy had to have had sight before to know what trees look like. So he might have been born blind. So he have, must have lost his sight. And he says, I see men as trees. Some of you know, something is happening in the moment, but it's not complete. Would you, would you agree to that? And what does he do? Once again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. And when he opened them, his sight was restored. Now, let me just tell you something. I am not limiting God's power. How many know one word from God could drive back all sickness, all disease, all demonic activity in an instant. In an instant. But here's the thing you need to get. We need to factor in God's decision on 
to, to work, if I could say it this way, God made a decision to work on earth through man. God, in a sense, even though he's unlimited, has limited himself to work through the affairs of man, to work through you. And a lot of times if we don't pray it through, perhaps maybe it won't be accomplished. Every head bowed here this morning. Scripture says in Ephesians that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. One translation says, in the measure of the distribution of the power which is operative in us. In other words, God is going to do super abundantly. More than we ask or think, in the measure of the power that is being distributed from us. And in conclusion, my, with every head bowed this morning, are you distributing God's power through your life? Are you, are you distributing the life of God to others from your spiritual womb or spiritual man or woman? Are you releasing the life of God or in your mind it's, what's the use of praying? Why should I lay hands on somebody? Because it seems like every time we do, nobody gets healed and nobody this and nobody that. Or whatever. Maybe we are persist, persist in this release of the life of God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, avails much. It doesn't say... The prayer of a righteous person is able to do much because it causes God's, God to operate. It certainly does that, but that's not what that means. It says the prayer of a righteous person is able to do much as the prayer operates. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available, the Amplified says. It is dynamic in its working. Summarize it, Mike. Very simply, you are distributors of God's power. I said, you are distributors of God's power. You have a measure of faith. What are you doing with your measure of faith? Are you growing that measure of faith? Are you increasing that measure of faith? And then, are you releasing that measure of faith in situations? If you believe that, and you embrace that, you'll pray for people. You will be a man or woman of prayer. You'll be a person that believes, you know what, I have the life of God within me, and I'm going to release that. If you don't believe that, you will not pray. You will not pray. You will not lay hands. You will not. You won't do it. That's why my prayer here today is that we as a church would embrace the truth of God on prayer, that we are distributors of God's power. God has chosen to limit himself. He didn't have to do it. He's almighty God. But he has chosen to say, I'm going to work through my sons and daughters. And what they say and declare, and what they pray and persevere, if it's a no, then it's a no. But if it's not, what they persevere in, I'm going to do through them. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, you're here this morning. He said, Pastor, I am not right with the Lord. You're not right with God. You need to get right with the Lord. The, the power of God is present here, I feel. The power of God is present here to bring healing and salvation to some of you that don't know the Lord. Some of you have a mental assent about God. You just mental assent. You, you, you know, he's God, he's up in heaven, but you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You don't have, God forbid, if you die today, the assurance of salvation. 
that you would go to heaven, that, that gift of eternal life. You can receive that. With every head bowed, you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get right with God. Today is a great day to do that. Today is a, an awesome moment in spiritual history right now that God will meet you at your point of need. If that's you, let's pray corporately. But just repeat after me. Say this. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Heal me. Deliver me. Jesus, I make a decision. This day, I give you my life. Now take it. In Jesus' name. Amen.